actually pretty much the whole worship service was scheduled for two weeks ago. And I'm not sure it got any better, the sermon got any better in those intervening two weeks, but uh, did you guys all have family worship on the 24th when you were snowed in with the blizzard? We had a delightful little family worship service. Um, I didn't preach, I made my kids preach, it was fun. So open with me, you got your sermon outline. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing as we look at His Scriptures. Father God, thank You for this morning. Thank You for every part of our Sunday morning worship experience of our setup crew that comes and uh, sound and music team that gets things ready. Thank You for our Sunday school teachers, our Sunday School Hour, where we dive deeper into your scriptures. Thank you for this worship time that we join together in corporate worship and and worship you together, learn, study. I pray that you'd open the scriptures to us, speak through the text, uh, speak through me, around me, in spite of me, uh, but help people to understand the significance of Exodus chapter 12 and all of the scriptures to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I finally made it to the Holocaust Memorial Museum. Uh, My family's lived here, you know, 45 minutes to an hour outside of D.C. for 14 years. And just there's so many things that we haven't seen in D.C. We only usually go when someone visits and says, hey, let's go see some monuments. And so we went uh, over Christmas break. my, My family was here and a few of us went to the Holocaust Museum. And it's a deeply touching experience. And it's, it's interesting to see sort of the whole, you're immersed in the whole story. I was just struck by that because usually when you see something about World War II or the Holocaust, it, uh, it's a story, a, a book, or a movie, and it, it generally focuses on one person's experience or one group. And so seeing the whole history was intense. I was reminded um, early before World War II and Hitler's rise to power, the rise of the Nazi party, and April 1st, 1933, uh, Nazi, called them stormtroopers, put up signs all over town that said, don't buy from the Jews, and painted the Star of David in yellow and black on any Jewish businesses. And the Germans boycotted all Jewish businesses for a day. Remember, this is well before war broke out. And it might not have been a big deal, except that it continued to grow. And it led to greater restrictions and confiscations. And eventually, the full-blown arrest, imprisonment, and execution of millions of Jews throughout Europe. I think many were reminded of these events in the past year or two when ISIS began marking the doors of Christians with the Arabic letter for N, right? Which meant Nazarene, a Christian, lived there. And the N was essentially a threat that they would be the target of violence. Well, today's passage is also about markings on buildings, specifically on Jewish homes. Violence was coming And there needed to be a signal to separate separate out 
the Jewish families from the non-Jewish families. However, unlike in Nazi Germany, this time those markings were to save the Jews, not to condemn them. They were markings of protection that redirected the violence elsewhere to be taken upon those who had earned God's judgment and wrath. This passage is an immensely important one in the book of Exodus, but also in the whole of Jewish history, laying down the explanation of one of their most important holy days. And it's one of the most significant foreshadowings of the great work of the coming Messiah. If you don't understand the Passover, you miss so much depth and richness of how God planned out redemptive history. And you won't fully understand the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate later this morning. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage first, as often as my practice, because it's long, and we've got communion later. Uh, we'll just deal with each section as we work our way through the text. So the first section is the first 11 verses of Exodus 12. And they give us the instruction for the Passover meal. So take a look at those first 11 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. They, they change their calendar for this. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses on which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread, and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So in the midst, bring us back, I know it's been a couple weeks since we've had an Exodus sermon, but we've had now the nine of the ten plagues that the Lord has brought to Egypt. And in the midst of this, as God is moving His people out towards freedom, we have very elaborate instructions for a big meal. Very specific cooking instructions on a specific day with a specific dress code. I hope you, you noticed all the details. Let's, we're going to work through some of them. This, this meal was a family meal. 
that the household was too small, share the lamb with another family. There's some specific instructions. Did you notice, though, verse 11, how the people were supposed to dress for the meal? Kind of strange. You know, everybody make sure you have your belt on, your sandals ready to go, your staff in hand. Be ready to leave is the message, right? These are traveling clothes. You're not sitting around for another month or two making preparations. It's time to get going because of what's coming, right? Pharaoh is going to send you out when his son and all of the firstborn sons of Egypt die. Now let's look closely at some of the instructions about the lamb that the family was to slaughter. Uh, the first thing we learn in verse 3 is that the lamb is killed by God's command. Verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. It's God's direction, God's instruction, the whole thing is. Two, the lamb was to be perfect, without blemish. Right? Verse 5 says the animals you choose be a lamb or a goat, uh, must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Third instruction is that the lamb is to be roasted over the fire. Verse 9, we learn that. Do not eat the meat raw, boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Fourth, the lamb's bones were not broken. I cheated a little. I jumped ahead. Verse 46. You want to turn there in your Bible. You see, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. And then five, you eat the lamb. That is the supper. That is the main entree for the night. Right? Verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Now, sometimes we preachers, we save all of the connections to Christ, all the parallels to the New Testament, the saving work of Christ until the end of the sermon, but it's, it's kind of unavoidable in this sermon, in this passage. Uh, it's all over the place. It's hard to miss for those who have eyes to see. So I'm not going to save it. Christ is the sacrificial Passover lamb, and God is giving his people a visual that would last for a couple thousand years before its full impact would be understood. Every one of these instructions about preparing the lamb was reflected in the death of Christ. Look closer. Number one, the, the lamb killed by God's command. Acts 2.23 explains that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Men killed Jesus, but it was God's plan for our redemption. Two, the Lamb was perfect. As First Peter 1 tells us, you were ransomed not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, just like that of a Lamb without blemish. Or spot, right? Only the sinless, the the uh, 
unblemished lamb was used as the sacrifice and only one who had never sinned could offer his death to cover others' sins. That is Christ's obedience, perfection in earth, on earth. Third, the lamb was roasted over the fire. Ephesians 5, 2 tells us, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, Jesus wasn't burned to death. We know he died on a cross. But the parallel that is that he went through the fire of suffering. And he was an offering on our behalf. For the lamb's bones were not broken. If you remember the account of the crucifixion, John tells us in 1936, for, those, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken. If you remember, the Roman soldiers broke the, the knees, the legs of the criminals next to Jesus to hurry their execution. But Jesus was already dead. Seems like a coincidence, but John tells us this is the fulfillment of the prophecy and a great parallel to the Passover lamb. And last, the lamb was eaten. John 6 53, 54 tells us, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I don't know if you remember at the end of John 6, like, lots of people leave. They abandon Jesus. They don't get that. But in about 20 minutes, we'll be eating Christ's broken body in our communion bread. So the Israelites are set for the meal, for the night of the Passover. But God goes on in this passage to instruct them for another meal, this time a feast that was to last for a week. So look at verse, we're going to skip a couple verses, we'll come back to them. Verses 14 through 20, instructions for the feast of, the un, of unleavened bread. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be eaten in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a sojourner 
or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So the seven-day feast was not going to be observed while Israel was still in Egypt. I, I was confused on that point originally. I was trying to figure out the timeline, how they fit that in. They didn't. Right? This is going to be for later. This is a feast that would be celebrated in the years to come. It was attached to the Passover meal. Essentially, Passover dinner kicked off this week's worth of eating, observing this feast of unleavened bread. Maybe a bit of like a revival week. Because according to verse 16, there's a worship service. On the front end, the back end, it's bookended. Plus everybody got off work so that their attention would not be divided. This is, these are future instructions that Israel then followed, instituted in their worship. Now, as you read that, the most obvious repeated thing is in, in these instructions is that the Israelites were to avoid yeast. It seems weird. Why yeast? Is this some kind of gluten-free dietary thing that started off? Was the yeast maybe sacrificed to idols? Uh, some religious connotation for the Egyptian gods? I don't think so. First off, uh, I think the symbolism is that, again, we're in a hurry. And the symbolism is that if you can't wait to let the bread rise. But I think deeper, the scriptures use yeast or leaven as a symbol of a negative influence, usually sin, that spreads throughout a whole loaf. Right? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus said. And so as Israel leaves Egypt, they are to rid themselves of the evil, idolatrous ways of Egypt. Look closely at 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, because I think this is a key to understanding how these feasts work together. Uh, it's, it's in the context of Paul kind of rebuking the church for putting up with some gross, heinous sins within the congregation. But he says, your boasting is not good. Because they were actually kind of proud that they allowed this guy. Uh, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, his sin is going to spread and infect your congregation, your church. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The bread with yeast, Paul tells us, is our old nature sinning away. Bread without yeast is our new nature, working to be holy, led by the power of the Holy Spirit. So for Paul, to keep the festival, he says, is to replace sinful conduct, the malice and wickedness, with godly behavior, sincerity 
and truth. We're going to find out that with the Passover, there were pretty dire consequences if you didn't put the lamb's blood over your doorpost, which we're just about to read. And the consequence is that your oldest son died. And according to verse 19, there's a consequence here, too. If you ate something with leaven, it was a pretty serious matter. You would be cut off from the Israelite community. Doesn't say how, whether through death or somehow the Lord would make sure you weren't part of the group. Now Paul is saying that if you don't exhibit the righteous life of the Spirit, you're in danger of not truly being part of God's people. To examine yourself and see if you now have the new life in Christ. Philip Graham Ryken summarizes it very well. When, when we consider how the Feast of Unleavened Bread is connected to Passover, we discover a very important truth about salvation, namely that we are saved in order to be sanctified. Right? Sanctified is, is to be made like Christ. The ongoing work of the Christian life. Passover is about getting saved. It reminds us we've been delivered from death by a perfect substitute whose blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sins. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us what God wants us to do once we've been saved. And that is to live a sanctified life, becoming more and more free from sin. It's a beautiful picture when you understand. Okay, now we have the instructions for the food preparation. Um, we find out what else God wants us to know. The deeper reasons for why the Israelites were to keep this meal. So we're going to dip back, verses 12 and 13, and then ahead to verse 21 through 27. So we look at the instructions for the houses. Verse 12 and 13, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Right? This is the tenth plague. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And now down to verses 21 through 27. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the house, the door of his house, until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, 
as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. I heard a story about the making of the animated Prince of Egypt. You remember that story? Uh, the makers of the film asked uh, some Christian leaders like James Kennedy and Billy Graham to be expert advisors so that they wouldn't get the story wrong or offend the Christian audience. The Exodus Gods and Kings, that movie that came out a year or two ago, they maybe should have done that, but good call. Uh, but apparently the first cut or the first the screenplay of the Prince of Egypt did not include the blood on the doorposts during the Exodus because the filmmakers thought, we can't do that. This is a kid's movie, right? It's just, it's just gross, gruesome. Kid. And so let's just use something else, paint or something. I don't know what they were going to do. But the, the pastors, the theologians told them, there's no way you can leave that out. You completely destroy the whole symbolism and the meaning behind it if you don't have the blood on the doorposts. It has to be blood, not paint or, or some less gruesome mark. Because it's the blood of the Lamb that saves. Now, God had already committed to sending this last plague, right? The death of the firstborn. And he was going to take the lives of the Egyptians, their firstborns, at least, because of their abuse of the Hebrews as judgment. I think we've talked about uh, fairness, justice in, in previous sermons. But what I want to point out, God didn't need markings on the doors of the houses to know who his people were, right? I mean, the other plagues have, have separated, and often the, the Israelites were not touched, whereas Egypt was. And so, why? This, the, the need for the sign must point to a much deeper theological reality. Marking the door with blood indicated that death had already taken place in the household. Judgment had already taken place, even if it was on a substitute victim. Because the Israelites were just as deserving of death for their sins as the Egyptians were, but they had a way to escape destruction. Death came to every single house in the land. In the morning, someone was going to be dead. It was either going to be the lamb or the firstborn son. And we begin to see this picture that is true of us. We deserve death and hell for our sins, but the Lord has provided a way. And He passes over us because our substitute died instead. As we fast forward through the Scriptures, 2,000 years to 
an upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus, like a good, obedient Jewish man, is celebrating the Passover meal with his, uh, with his disciples. And he's, I think, acting as the father, taking his children through, taking his whole family through the, the ritual and the different parts of the Passover and explaining them to his disciples. But in the gospel accounts, he's not really sticking to the script. Where you think that Jesus should be talking about the sufferings of Israel, and you know they would talk about how the bitterness of the herbs symbolized the bitterness of the bondage of Egypt, or the, the bread of affliction reflecting how the wilderness community suffered. He isn't. He says a strange thing. This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. Move beyond their symbolism with the old celebration of Passover. There's a greater thing that you are about to witness. It is the new covenant with God through me. I mean, Passover and the Exodus were amazing. It was a turning, historic turning point that the Jews continued to celebrate. But Christ's death and sacrificial atonement on our behalf is greater. I mean, what did we keep hearing over and over when we read through the book of Hebrews, when we preached through that? Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 reminds us, For the blood of bulls and goats sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 1 Corinthians 5 7 so plainly says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's all over the New Testament. John 1 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the end, Revelation 5, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. We don't celebrate Passover anymore because it's only a shadow of the real thing. Why celebrate the symbol when you can celebrate what it's pointing to, what it's symbolizing? We partake in the Lord's Supper out of obedience to the new covenant. It's the same reason that we baptize our children. We don't use circumcision as the ritual, despite that's how the Old Testament laid it out, right? The same reason we don't still slaughter animals. All of those were part of the Old Covenant, and all are remade new in Christ. Now to get a sense, I think, of, of how much salvation depends on us or God. I'm going to tell a story that Don Carson, a wonderful pastor, told in one of his sermons. And it's an imagined conversation between two Jewish men, the, the kind of the day before the night of the Passover. And one Jewish man uh, says to the other man, says, are you, are you a little nervous 
not what's going to happen tonight? And the other man says, well, God told us what to do through Moses. Uh, you don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb, daubed the two doorposts with blood, put, put blood up on the lintel? You've done that, right? You're all packed, ready to go. You're going to eat the Passover meal with your family. You've made all those preparations, right? And the other guy says, oh, yeah, of course I've done that. Yeah, we're ready. It's, it's, just, it's just pretty scary, though. When you think of all the things that have happened around here, you know, the flies and the river of blood, and now uh, there's this threat of the firstborn being killed. I mean, you've got three sons. I've only got one. I, I'm pretty worried here. I know what God says, and I've put the blood there, but it's scary. And I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds confidently, hey, bring it on. I, I trust the promises of God. And that night happens, and the destroyer, the angel of death, sweeps through the land. Which one of those guys lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of their intensity or the clarity of their faith. Right? But on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers when he accuses us before God. We overcome him by the blood of Jesus. That is the ground of our human assurance before God. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith. Right? We overcome him, our sin, our punishment, on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb. Remember verse 13. God says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Yeah, but don't, don't I have to do something? Don't I have to be good enough? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Yeah, but surely I need to outweigh my bad things with my good things. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. We sang it earlier. Jesus, all my trust is in your blood. Jesus, you've rescued us through your great love. Christ is our Passover lamb. And today, we eat the lamb slain. We celebrate with God's people. All of us have justly deserved the judgment and punishment of God for our sin. But as with the Passover meal, God has provided a way to avoid being under his just sentence of eternal death and separation from him. Jesus Christ is the lamb slain for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this scripture passage. Lord, we know that you could have 
saved your people with one word. You could have ended Pharaoh's life years before and passed all this up for whatever reason you went through this process, called Moses out to be the deliverer, sent plague after plague, was ignored, and then you called the Israelites to put their faith in action, to protect their families with the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Thank you that we do not fear death because you've taken the penalty of our sin upon yourself. Thank you that there's no work we can do, no qualification we obtain, no effort we can expend to gain our acceptance before God. We are saved through His blood, and then we leave the leaven of our sin, and we work it out, and we embrace the life of the Spirit. God, teach us the truth of that. Thank you that Jesus is our Lamb of God, and thank you that we get to eat and drink and be reminded of Him this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious holy name. the privilege this morning to sing the Gloria. It is an old, old, old hymn and doxology. And it's one of the few hymns that's sung in every branch of the church. Dave, you going to lead us or am I? <laughs> Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God bless you. We'll see you next week.